Sorry, I don't love you. A friend I've grown accustomed to. Cause with you, something isn't wrong. Something isn't wrong. Something isn't right. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, and this week Ryan Gardner is returning to talk all about Stephen King, and while we will broadly be talking about Stephen King, that by no means is an indication that I will not talk about any Stephen King things in depth later on, and before we get started here, how are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing well. It's nice and hot in Austin. It's been in the 90s the past couple days, so... Ouch. I am glad it is not that hot in California yet, but it is, you know, a little toasty in my room. Nothing quite like that. It's only 77 here, according (laughs) to my watch. (laughs) That's perfect. Yes, except for when you shut yourself in a room to record a podcast, then not so perfect. But outside, I'm sure it feels (laughs) much nicer. Anyway, aside from the weather, you know, we definitely will be talking a lot about Stephen King right now. And... Ryan, I know you probably got into reading his books more consistently well before I did, because that's sort of something I'm just now starting to do. It's not that I've never read Stephen King until this point. It's just that, you know, I had picked up books here and there to read. And I think, you know, the first one I read might have been the Green Mile series, because the books we have are the little six-part books, so they're tiny little like 90-page, 100-page books. So I felt like that way I was able to consume it much more quickly than I would if I just saw it as this giant 600-page novel. (laughs) (laughs) I have that version at my house, at my parents' house as well, but I've actually not read that one yet. Yeah, so I kind of just ended up jumping around, but when did you really sort of get into Stephen King and what book was the first book you read of his? Uh, So I think I was a sophomore junior in high school. um, So 2010 or 2011. And uh, for some reason, I read on writing first. Uh, At the time, I was thinking about what I wanted to do in college and I was between English or journalism. Uh, I ended up starting my degree in journalism and then switching to advertising. But there was a period where I thought I wanted to mainly focus on writing. And so I read on writing because uh, I thought it would be interesting in that regard. Right. But the thing about that book is the first half or the second half is all about his life, um, kind of an autobiography, and, this, and the other half is all about writing. So right. I kind of got really interested in some of the books that he mentioned in that book, and I was like, okay, well, let me you know start with one from there. So some of the first books I read were Carrie, um, Salem's Lot, Misery, and kind of semi-chronological order, but not not intentionally or anything like that. Right. And then I read the, the whole Dark Tower series pretty early on. Okay, and is the Dark Tower series actually wrapped up? Because, you know, I was mentioning to you, I think we only have maybe three or four of the books, but I think there's like seven or eight total or something like that by now. Yeah, so for a long time there were seven, and then probably in 2011 or 2012 he wrote uh, an eighth book, but it's a short one that takes place in between, I think, book three and four. Um, okay. So I guess it's part of the series, but not it wasn't intended to originally be part of the series. Um, so I'm pretty sure it's wrapped up. My understanding is that the upcoming movie is going to be either a continuation of some sorts and, and kind of not follow the direct storyline, but I'm not entirely certain on that one either. Okay, yeah. And a lot of his stuff, too, has been you know, taken to the big screen and the small screen in some cases. And, you know, 
Carrie being his first book and the fact that I'm sure you probably remember this from reading on writing. He literally had his manuscript for Carrie in the trash and his wife pulled it out and told him, you know, he needed to go through with this. And while Carrie is probably by far not his best work, it's not a horrible debut novel either. Yeah, and it, it re- I remember reading that it really like changed his life. Like he got a huge advance for it, um, and it kind of catapulted his whole career. Yeah, I would argue that it's one of the, my least favorite books that I've read by him, and I think I've read upwards of forty now. Um, but you can definitely tell he it was his first book, and then from there he grew tremendously into Salem's Lot and some of those early books that are phenomenal. Yeah, so you've definitely read a lot more than I have because mine's probably only somewhere within the five to ten range if I don't count the Green Mile books as six separate books because really <laughs> they are one book. So, you know, I've read that. I just recently read Carrie because I decided, you know, last week or the week before that I was going to actually start digging into the Stephen King books. And I was like, okay, I'll just start from the beginning. But I've read some big ones, you know, I've read Shining. And Green Mile is obviously a big one, but then I've read some that might be the lesser known books, like The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I only have a handful or so that I've read, and I am looking forward to reading more, but I'm also not looking forward to that stretch right around it where he just has a ton of huge books to read. Yeah, that's kind of where I've, I guess, paused. Um, I. I kind of just pick and choose what I want to read. So I'm actually going to start reading Blaze, which is one of the books that he wrote as Richard Bachman right. um, tomorrow. But now I kind of pick and choose. So like if I want lately, I've wanted his shorter books. Um, so I've read like Gerald's Game and about to read Blaze and, and some some books that are a little more digestible. Um, last summer, I read It and it's it might be my favorite Stephen King book. It's definitely worth the read. But yeah, sometimes it's a really daunting task to be like, I'm about to start a 900 page book. <laughs> yeah. And he has a lot of those. Exactly. And I just want to go back to on writing very quickly here because it's been coming up quite a bit recently for me personally, because when I was at WonderCon, they mentioned that specific book in a panel that I was in. And the panel was about breaking into Hollywood basically as like a TV writer was what most of these people on the panel were. And, you know, they highly recommended this book simply because of how Stephen King talks about his life in the book and then how he writes a story and how he's had so many, you know, bestsellers and that sort of thing. And it's definitely interesting. And apparently he reads the audiobook too. So if anyone's not a big reader, well, if anyone's not a big reader, I'm not entirely sure why they hit play on this episode, knowing Stephen King's an author. But (laughs) if you are not a big reader and you're listening to this anyway, one, thank you. And two, definitely check out, you know, the audiobooks and all of the TV and movie adaptations, because those might be more up your alley. And a lot of them do stick fairly close to the source material, basically, as far as I know, especially, you know, something like 112263, which was released last year, I believe, on Hulu. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that one yet. But um, circling back to you saying that in on writing, it kind of talks through his writing process. I uh, The last book I read by him was Full Dark No Stars, and that was probably a couple weeks ago. Okay. And uh, even at the end of that book, in the acknowledgments, there's four stories in that book, and he talks through where he got the idea for each of the fourth one of the four books and kind of 
um, what he saw in real life that he then transformed into a book, what news stories he read that transformed into one of the short stories. Um, so it's it's really cool to me that he still kind of digests everything and how he still talks about how he pulls just really minute details from real life or from a news story he sees or just like walking you know around his neighborhood that he sees something happen one day and pulls that into a story. So I think it's super cool that he still kind of keeps that very insightful insight into everything that he writes and, and kind of where he pulls his ideas from. Yeah, and you know, we talked about his 600, 900 page books, these sort of behemoths of books. And he does do, you know, short stories and things like that, too. Have you read by any chance his short story? I believe it's just titled Guns. Uh-uh. So I read that it was like the first thing I read at the beginning of this year. And it's just, you know, sort of his thoughts on gun control and gun laws and that sort of thing. But in it, he talks about a story he wrote called Rage. It was part of one of the, you know, short story or short novella compilations that he released earlier in his career. And luckily, my mom has that story in one of the paperbacks because he has since pulled it. And the short story was called Rage. And I guess what happened was, you know, with the mass shootings and everything, at least one or two of the kids who were involved in that was carrying around a copy of his story rage. So he and the publisher sort of just made the decision to pull it off the shelves. And I don't think it's been republished since. So do you have that story by any chance? Or is that something that you didn't even know about? Yeah, I've actually read it and I have it. Um, I got the the Bachman books. It's like a four or five book collection yeah. um, of some of the books that he wrote as Richard Bachman. So I got that from Half Price Books years ago when I was in high school and uh, read that story in there upon realizing that it was out of print and you can't buy it anywhere any, anymore. So yeah, that was interesting. I think, yeah, a couple of people who had some school shootings either cited that or maybe were carrying it. Um, and he then like immediately took it off print. And it, my understanding is that, yeah, it's pretty hard to come by. Um, but it was... Yeah, it's it's a heavy read. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but I sort of went through my mom's Stephen King collection and I was looking for it. I was like, do you have this? Do you have this? And, you know, (laughs) it's definitely in a very old copy because I remember I like touched the book and the front cover started to rip and I was like, oh, okay, going to put this back now. (laughs) I'll return to it later when I actually want to read it. I'll stop touching it. But, you know, that just goes to show how long he's been writing books too because you know the majority of the books my mom bought and then I've sort of been trying to fill in the blanks because at some point she stopped buying them Mm -hmm. so you know I have been going to the used bookstores at my library or the used bookstore that I usually go to and more often than not you can find his books like in the dollar racks or something like that and at my library's that I go to that have used bookstores, you don't really pay more than a dollar for a book to begin with, or maybe $2 tops. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I have like this nice brand new hardcover copy of The Bazaar of Bad Dreams that I literally paid a dollar for instead of paying, you know, Barnes and Noble almost 30 bucks for it or something. So if anyone is looking to get into his books, I definitely recommend either checking them out from your library or see if your library has some used bookstores or like what you do, half price books, because there's so many of his books that if you bought all of them at retail price, you would probably literally spend a small fortune. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got um, a handful of mine in the clearance section of half price books for like a dollar or two. They're really easy to find there. Yeah. 
And then um, in, in my hometown, there's a handful. Uh, the library there sells books for like 50 cents or a dollar. And I, I used to find a lot of his there when I was in high school. Um, and now there's like seven or eight that I don't have. They're all stored at my parents' house, but there's like seven or eight that I don't have that I'm slowly on the hunt for still. Um, but once I have those, I think I'll have everything that he's written. It's the only author that I've ever thought about collecting anything from. I don't really buy a lot of books anymore. I don't like having to move them all over or anything like that when right. I move. Um, but yeah, he's one person that I'm I'm still trying to get everything that he's written. Yeah, and I know in the previous podcast we did, we talked about, you know, reading a lot on Kindle to save that shelf space and not have to deal with the heaviness of books every time you move. But unfortunately, I still have a lot of books, which I I wouldn't really (laughs) say that's unfortunate. It's going to be unfortunate when I move. But, you know, I really do enjoy having physical copies of a lot of books, especially things that I think of as reference books or things I might want to you know, write articles on at some point. And I can definitely see Stephen King sort of being one of those people, especially as more and more of his stuff is being adapted for TV and movies. But before we get too off track here, you probably have a lot more favorites than I do simply because you've read so many more books than I have. And personally, for me, I would say of what I've read so far, my favorite might have to be The Shining simply because of just how crazy the story is. And obviously, you know, Jack Nicholson being in the movie kind of helps you appreciate the craziness of that character a little more. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that he still doesn't like that adaptation at all. Like he still just talks shit about it. Which <laughs> the Shining, Kubrick's The Shining is like, in my opinion, one of the greatest films and one of my favorite movies uh, and the fact that he still actively does not like that adaptation still just blows my mind. Yeah, that is funny. But yeah, some of, some of my favorites that I've read by him, um, I really like a lot of his more heartfelt books, the kind of ones that aren't solely horror-focused, but they have kind of a more intimate, sincere feel, whether they're about relationships or something like that. Um, so some of those that I really like, Bag of Bones is one of my favorites. Um, it was a mini series that was adapted ad- adapted with Pierce Bronson that came out a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, it was decent, but yeah, the the book is really good. Um and then Joyland, which is one of his more recent books, came out in probably 2013. Um it's a short book and it's about a roller coaster park and uh it's just kind of about a kid who um I think his girlfriend breaks up with him and and so it's kind of about that relationship and how he ties it with with this amusement park that he works at but uh, I really like that one and then on the more standard Stephen King horror side of things um the stand is kind of his magnum opus for most people it's like the extended version is like 1200 pages and it is quite an epic (laughs) book kind of yeah it's kind of like walking dead ish um and then I really like under the dome which is another thousand page book And then Salem's Lot are kind of some of my favorites of his. And then the whole Dark Tower series. Yeah, and bringing up Dark Dark Tower again, that sort of leads us into the various genres he covers through his books. And we already mentioned that this one is more along the lines of fantasy and sci-fi. But I would say largely his collection of books is more horror-based. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, most people would agree with that because you know, the big names are Carrie, It, you know, these ones that just have these creepy characters and that have been brought to life visually. So it's like you can't really get them out of your head, even if you tried, because, you know, like I said, I was at WonderCon and even at WonderCon, which 
I know a lot of people think of these Comic-Cons as more, you know, DC Marvel based, but there was still a lot of pop culture stuff in general. And, you know, there were artists who had pop culture posters they were selling and screen Mm -hmm. printed posters and, you know, Carrie, It, The Shining, they were all there. And, you know, these things are things that have never really ever gone away in pop culture. And I think he just has horror down so well. And it's interesting, like, you know, the horror movies and books are kind of staples, but a lot of people forget. I mean, yeah, The Green Mile, Stand By Me, and a a bunch of these other books and movies or short stories in that case that he's written um, that are kind of very culturally relevant. You know, Stand By Me is, I would consider it like a really big film from, I believe, the 80s. um, Yeah. That to me is up there with like The Goonies and those kind of films. Um, and, And people don't realize that he wrote that one as well. And so I think his impact on culture is it goes way farther than horror horror books and movies um and even like watching stranger things last year when it came out uh it felt very much like stephen king could have written it and i would have believed you and i think he tweeted something along the lines of like it felt like watching his greatest hits and he meant that in a compliment um so it's it's super cool to see kind of the relevance of his style still still super prevalent in today's world yeah definitely and you know stranger things was definitely a huge cult hit too when it came out and I know personally I loved it and it sort of just gave you that feeling of this small town vibe with this supernatural thing going on and while you did have sci-fi aspects to it there was still the horror aspect to the whole upside down in general and I think Mm -hmm. you know the fact that he did speak of it that way you know that's sort of something that he's obviously doing as a compliment and I'm sure there are some people who probably took that the wrong way because you know if you tweet something someone is bound to take it the wrong way as we well know in you know the music scene politics whatever it is but I think you know the fact that so many people pull inspiration from him is something that one I don't think he ever really expected because he still seems you know, very humbled about being able to be a writer for a living. And, you know, I've never met him. I've never Mm -hmm. been to a book signing or anything like that. (laughs) But I just get this from the way he wrote on writing. And, you know, he Mm -hmm. thought that Carrie was horrible. And clearly, while, like we said, it's not his best work, it wasn't horrible. And the publisher didn't think it was horrible because they were willing to print it. Right, and he's able to expand onto so many different genres. I mean, that uh, Mr. Mercedes Bill Hodges trilogy, which is, I would say, some of his most recent work um, in the past four or five years, the three of those came out, is like, you know, some of the best mystery that I've read. Like, I would put it up there with Gone Girl and those kind of books and and The Girl on the Train, and it it gave me the same vibe as reading those. And, like, he's not traditionally, you know, a mystery writer, but it felt like reading a detective story. And so he's able to do things like that. He has, obviously, a lot of, like, supernatural elements in his books, Dreamcatcher, Thinner, those kind of of books. And then, as I mentioned earlier, some of the more, um, I guess, like, romantic drama, um, Bag of Bones and Joyland and those kind of books that he's able to tie into so many different types of books and and they're all phenomenal in my opinion um it just really shows like how versatile and talented he is as a writer and as a storyteller yeah and you know he even has a book about baseball i believe with peter straub and he has another book with him i believe it's black and 
Oh, yeah, the Black House, I think. Oh, okay, Black House. I just know the whole book was black, so I couldn't really <laughs> see the title on it. Oh, yeah. But I haven't read that one. It's a really long one. Yeah, and, you know, so he's even willing to team up with another writer, and the fact that he did a book about baseball shows he's sort of really not this one-trick pony with just, you know, writing these stories that might have a similar premise or a similar theme, and then we have his work as Richard Bachman, which I don't think I've read any of that particularly. I think, like I said, I just looked up Rage to see if we had it in the Bachman books. Mm -hmm. And do you know what the idea was behind writing as Richard Bachman? Uh, I can't remember. I think when I read, so I've read Rage, The Long Walk, and Thinner, and I'm about to read Blaze. Um, and I think he has seven books as Richard Bachman. Okay. Um, but I, I remember it was during like, I, I think it was during a time when he didn't want as much recognition as he was getting and just kind of wanted to try. Uh, I don't remember if it was like switching genres or doing something a little bit different. Um, but there was some sort of a premise behind doing it. I'm just not entirely sure why. And there's some interesting like time gaps between them. So I have the Bachman books, which is where I have that copy of Rage. Um, it also has the long walk, road work, and I think the running man in it. But Thinner was a little after that, and then the Regulators was even more recent. And Blaze was like, I think it came out a few years ago. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure exactly why he went back to that pseudonym for that book, um, but there must have been some sort of reason behind it. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of big name writers do this. I know J.K. Rowling did this with her Robert Galbraith series of books, which includes the cuckoo's calling and some other you know more mystery based books and i've never really understood that i guess because in the end everyone kind of figures out who it is anyway especially with stephen mm -hmm. king and jk rowling because it's kind of like how do you keep that a secret necessarily but i don't think you know that takes away anything from their talent or their writing and like you said they could just want a break from you know, being this big recognizable name on these books and everything. I just looked it up. He um, he found Blaze in his attic and decided to release it. So there you go. He's got <laughs> books in his attic that he forgets about. Nice. <laughs> and he writes probably what about a book a year, if not more at this point, because he has, I think you said you've read about two thirds of his books. So he probably has somewhere around 60 or so. Yeah, he pretty much releases at least one book, sometimes two books every year. Like, you can pretty much expect that. Um, I mean, recently he's released Revival, uh, Full Dark No Stars was pretty recently, The Bizarre Bad Dreams. Um, he has a book coming out later this year called Sleeping Beauties with his son Owen King. So, yeah, he's still super prolific. Yeah, and I didn't know much about Sleeping Beauties, but I had heard of his other son, Joe Hill, who writes as Joe Hill simply because I think he didn't want to be branded Stephen King's son which like I said we found out anyway so and what's fascinating I've read uh Nosfera too and you could have it was a great book but you could have told me that Stephen King wrote it and I would have believed you like it was so similar and I mean obviously that's a great thing because I think Stephen King's great but I mean if it had Stephen King's name on it I would have believed that he wrote it which was super bizarre and I did not expect that at all yeah, and I think I felt the same way about Heart Shape Box because that was just something that was I wouldn't say it was completely out there, but it was just a very Stephen King-like premise. And that's the only book I've read of Joe Hill so far, but I do have 
the one you've read and I believe 20th Century Ghost Stories, at least, on my list. And then he just released The Fireman. And he, too, releases very large books because I looked at a copy of The Fireman when I was at the library and I was like, <laughs> it's I'll huge. get to you at some point. <laughs> That's how I was, too. <laughs> yeah, and it's just crazy to me because I'm like, some days I struggle to write like 400 words about something, let alone, you know, like 40,000. <laughs> Well, I remember in On Writing, he talks about his whole, and I don't know if this is still accurate because that book's pretty old, but uh, he used to just try to make a goal to write 2,000 words a day. Um, right. And so he would just crank out content, whether it was good or whether it was bad. He just, he makes an effort to write something every day. Um, and so clearly it still works for him. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you, I wouldn't say have that luxury because obviously writing is hard work as you and I both probably know pretty well just from writing about music and stuff in general and you know it's probably a struggle more days than not to get something that you actually like but the fact that he still releases these bestsellers practically every year if not twice a year just sort of is a big testament to his work ethic and everything because I know when you and I last talked on this podcast, we were sort of talking about basically getting our lives together and figuring out how we were going to get all these different things done. And that's something I am still working on. And I feel like I'm constantly working on it because I feel like I can't just sit down and do one thing at a time. I feel like I have to be, you know, writing and listening right. to music or writing and listening to a podcast, which some people don't understand how I do that. But more often than not, it's a <laughs> podcast that I don't need to listen to every single word to understand what they're talking about. So if it's like a podcast on the Apple News for the day, it's not the end of the world right. if I miss something on that. So mm -hmm. I feel like I just have that sort of multitasking rhythm down, but I still need to work on, you know, getting things done in a timely manner and not forgetting to do certain things. But Definitely a testament to his work ethic if he's still doing that however many years later. His first book probably came out in, what, like the 70s at least? <laughs> yeah, and speaking of listening to music or something while working, he used to listen to heavy metal while working, like Metallica <laughs> while writing, which is hilarious because it would be really hard to focus yeah, I don't while think listening I could to do Metallica. That. <laughs> <laughs> I have to listen to something that I'm already super familiar with so it won't distract me or I have to listen to something that I am not familiar with at all so I will be less inclined to pay attention to it because I'm familiar with it ah. so it's like sometimes I'll just put on new releases and get some writing done and then I'm like wait did I like that release <laughs> and I have to go by it's, <laughs> it's almost creating more work for me in general but I feel like my writing would take longer if I was sitting here in silence yeah, I try to like the first listen of records, just do it while I'm doing something else so I can see like, how do I like it in the background and then focus on it a little bit after that. So I agree. Yeah, I think when I'm reading, though, that's the only time I'm sort of iffy on multitasking, because it's similar to writing in that I'll put on a podcast that I don't entirely need to pay that much attention to. But because I'm trying to absorb information instead of spitting it out onto a screen, mm -hmm. I think reading is the one thing for me that I could just sit there and do without any other distraction. Music would be f better probably because I would be able to tune that out, but still have, you know, not complete silence. But I feel like I read faster if I'm not trying to also listen to a podcast or something like that. 
yeah if i'm reading like a book i don't i don't listen to anything i don't even i don't like having the tv on i don't even like people talking while i'm reading so i agree i like to just focus um it makes it easier to understand and kind of follow yeah and i was able to you know finish up a book before we hopped on this podcast and i squeezed in an article in between so i'm kind of on a roll here today i finished nick and nora's infinite playlist so now i can probably go start salem's lot which was my plan Anyway, I just wasn't planning on finishing Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist this soon, to be honest, because it's, you know, my other podcast, Misalign, it's the book club pick for this month, and it's only April 4th. So <laughs> I have a little ways to oh, go wow. before I talk about that. But You're ahead of the game. Yeah, so I'll be reading Salem's Lot next. You'll be reading Blaze next. Is that as far as you plan out, or do you sort of have an idea of what order you want to read his books in? Um, I don't really plan that far ahead. Uh, like I'll finish a book, like I'm reading a Bukowski uh, novel right now. And then I was like, Oh, I want to read Stephen King book next. I'll try to like, not intentionally, but it seems like I'll read like four or five books from someone else. And then be like, it's time for a King book. Yeah. Just like randomly whenever I feel like it, just cause for me, his books are super, I read through them super fast. Cause he's always like super entertaining and engaging. Yeah. Um, so if I'm looking for something that I just like, if I have a weekend where I have some downtime and I literally just want to sit on the couch or in this weather, like go sit outside on my balcony and read for a few hours. Like King is a great, a great person to, to read in those situations. So, um, definitely have been reading him more lately. Yeah, and I think what I'm going to try to do just to sort of catch up on his early works is I'm going to read one of his books, read another book and maybe a comic book in between, and then go back to his books because I am one of those people who will continue to buy books and comic books even though I haven't read everything that I own. <laughs> so I just have... I think everyone does that though. Yeah, I think with comics, there are some people who try to sort of get through their stacks of comics before buying more, but I am not that person because I just have shelves on shelves of books I had to bring in. I think I've told you this before. Maybe I had to bring in another bookshelf into my room and stick it in front of my closet <laughs> door that will no longer open because I put a bookshelf in front of it because I was out of shelf space on the two bookshelves I already have in my room. And my room is not very big, mind you. So it's just like, there is no wall space left in my room. Like my desk is as close to my bookshelves and my dresser as you can possibly get it without it being completely in the way. <laughs> yeah, I used to have stacks of books all over my room in my parents' house before I went on like a mass purge and just sold a ton. So yeah, I, I have stacks you. of comic books sitting on my dresser right now because my friend borrowed some comic books and I don't want to reorganize my shelf until I get those back from her so I don't have to reorganize <laughs> it twice. But um, that's not even counting all of my mom's Stephen King books that are not in my room. And, you know, she collected Stephen King books, and then she was also collecting Dean Koontz books, which I haven't read any of his stuff, but I might be interested in it. So I might end I up either. just stealing a lot of her books, probably, at some point. <laughs> need more bookshelves, <laughs> I need all the bookshelves, just like I need a library room, <laughs> you know? There you go. I'd have to get a two-bedroom apartment just for me and my books. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that wouldn't be the case. That would be very expensive. Yeah. Paying for room and board just for your books. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know when I was talking to Jesse Cannon on Misaligned, he mentioned sort of going more digital because in, you know, New York, it's like you are literally paying for your bookshelf space <laughs> in New York. That's a good point. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. 
But aside from that, we mentioned earlier, he has a lot of movie and TV adaptations, and there's actually a lot of stuff coming up right now. They're doing a remake of it, and I'm sure we have both watched the trailer for this, yes? It looks incredible. I mean, I'm really excited about it. Like, I, I watched the trailer a few times, and my first reaction was like, this looks like it will be like a classic horror movie. Um, like, it looks like something that in 20 years will reference back to this movie and be like, remember that movie? Because um, it, it looks like a lot like, you know, Stand By Me and, and The Goonies and even Stranger Things in that it'll kind of have that nostalgic feel to it. Um, but it also looks scary as hell. Like, Pennywise looks terrifying in this. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to someone at WonderCon because he was selling an it print, a shining print, and, you know, sort of all of these big cult posters. And he wasn't thrilled about it because he thought the original movie was already good enough and that no one could really top Tim Curry as Pennywise. But I don't know if you saw this online. Someone did a side-by-side look at the two trailers and how similar they were. And this one is not quite, you know, step for step, scene for scene, but it is very, very close. Like in the new trailer, you know, when the kid is running and he sort of hits his head on the little sawhorse there and, you know, falls into Mm -hmm. the water. That doesn't happen in the original. So they've tweaked some things here and there. But like you, I think it's going to be a big hit and just the fact that some people still talk about the original it if they do this right and sort of give it a better quality because obviously with hd and everything it's pretty much automatically going to at least be more colorful and have sharper images and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but i agree with you that i think people could be talking about this remake in particular for a very long time, even though there are a lot of people who are really tired of remakes, which I'm sort of of that opinion, because to me, it seems like now they keep doing TV shows that are remakes of movies. And I'm just like, why are you doing this? Was the movie not good enough? And usually it's a really good movie. (laughs) So it's like, why are you doing this? (laughs) Normally, I'm pretty anti-remakes, but in this case, I mean, the first movie I thought was decent. I saw it for my first time a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. so I was pretty late to the game for seeing that movie, actually. I didn't want to see it until I read the book, Um, so I finally read the book a year or two ago, and then I saw it. Um, I thought it was decent. This one, in my opinion, looks way better, and the hype is definitely cranked for this because the trailer broke the most streams in 24 hours for a movie trailer. It beat out The Fate of the Furious, which is a new Fast and Furious trailer that came out few months ago so i think people are definitely pretty excited about this one i mean it was pretty much all i saw on my facebook feed that day that it was released yeah and we mentioned eleven twenty two sixty three on hulu but i sort of want to go into that one a little more in depth because with the way hulu and netflix are right now i think you can just really sort of get these stories out in a better format in a better way than you can with a movie that has to be you know somewhere between two, two and a half hours or something like that. This gives you the time to sort of flesh out these ideas a bit better. And with someone like Stephen King, who writes these gigantic books, it's like you want to see Mm -hmm. as much of it as possible. And I know, you know, like we mentioned with J.K. Rowling, when the Harry Potter movies came out, because the books were so huge, people were like, but what about this? And what about this? And it's like, well, you have to understand they can't fit everything in here with a book that is so long, especially a series like Harry Potter, which is probably going to be the way 
a lot of people feel about Dark Tower if it's supposed to be like the books instead of in addition to the books. Right. Uh, I actually have not seen 112263. I don't have Hulu. It's like the one streaming platform I don't have. Um, But I've heard good things, and one day I will finally watch it. Yeah, I definitely recommend that. (laughs) And then Gerald's Game is coming to Netflix as a movie, which should be interesting. Uh, That's a weird book. Um, It's one of his weirder books. It's short, quick read. I read it uh, a few months ago. And uh, this guy and his wife are kind of in a cabin having like a, a... getaway romantic weekend and he dies and it's just like her his wife is chained to the bed because it's kind of like a weird sexual book uh in the beginning so she's like chained to the bed and the whole thing is like how does she get out when her husband is dead and like her having flashbacks of other parts of her life so it's creepy it's really bizarre it's classic Stephen king but the netflix movie i'm wondering how they'll do because it's a weird weird book (laughs) Yeah, and they do have another Hulu project coming out, which I guess isn't good for you because you don't have Hulu, but Castle Rock. I'll have to get it. (laughs) Yeah, Castle Rock was announced, and the trailer sort of just mentioned a ton of these various references to the Stephen King universe, if you want to call it that. I feel like we might as well at this point because he has pretty much taken over everything you know the stand is even a comic book so you sort of have him in all of these different mediums and it's just like he's at least allowing his things to adapt with the time too because you know there are some people who might not want to see their stuff become a netflix or hulu show because maybe they don't particularly like where those services is going which to me seems weird because i love a lot of stuff that Mm -hmm. netflix and hulu have done especially with the original content and everything right um is castle rock did he write it is it based on one of his books i'm not super familiar with that one i don't think he's writing it himself i know there's definitely a group of writers working on it because i believe i It might be Mark Bernardin, who was the LA Times film editor for a bit, and he does a podcast with Kevin Smith and everything. I think Castle Rock might be the new thing he said he was working on, but please don't hold me to that. But I'm sure he has at least some creative input on it or is helping with the writing process. Mm -hmm. All we know really is there was a little teaser trailer that was maybe 30 seconds and it didn't give us any footage. It was just like a bunch of words of various Stephen King like cities and things and that sort of thing. I'll have to check it out. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, I'm still a little in the dark about it. Maybe that's just because I have not checked up on the news on it lately. But I will definitely Mm -hmm. link to that in the show notes and find what I can about it since I am probably not making any sense to anyone at this point. (laughs) And then we'll see if The Dark Tower finally comes out. It got pushed back again to August. Um, That movie, I I know like literally five plus years ago, it was in talks to be a series of some sort, maybe an HBO series, I can't remember exactly, or a TV series, and then it got canned, and then paused, and then re-brought up, and now it's like, I think it's going to be a movie, finally, with Matthew (laughs) McConaughey, Um, but it has been shelved so many times that I'm just excited that we're going to get anything with it whatsoever. Yeah, I feel like I saw images from that forever ago, (laughs) you know, and they were talking about it for quite a while, like you said, but 
maybe it coming out in August will give me time to get through all those books. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like according to IMDb, um, it is. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it'll just be based on the book. I think I was reading on Wikipedia um, that it's kind of a continuation of some sorts, but I'm not directly positive on what the storyline that they're going for is here. I kind of, I'm not going to say I lost interest in it, but because it was announced and then canned and then announced and then shelved again so many times, I kind of like didn't follow along with what the exact premise of the, of the movie is going to be. Yeah, and obviously his movies have had a lot of success in the past. So despite Dark Tower sort of being put on pause and then started up again, I'm sure it'll still do well. But why don't we talk about some of his other movies? I personally haven't seen too many. I recall seeing at least part of it when I was younger, but I don't remember Mm -hmm. because it was so long ago if I actually sat through the whole thing. But I recently watched The Shining after having read that in college I think you know I maybe might have just watched that like last year though so I've been had you never seen it I hadn't but I've seen like the here's Johnny images everywhere you know and it's kind of hard to not know about that movie it's just I sort of forced myself to wait until I at least read that book before watching I'm pretty sure I had Mm -hmm. seen Carrie too well before watching the movie because I was going through the book and I was like, I remember this, I remember this. And it was kind of a breeze (laughs) to get through because I was familiar with it already. Yeah, The Shining is one of the first scary movies that I ever remember watching. So it's probably, it's actually probably one of like the movies that I've seen most in my life um, would be The Shining. So it's, I really love that movie. Misery is phenomenal. Kathy Bates does a fantastic job in that one. Um, and then I really like Stand By Me as well. It's like, in my mind, one of those classic movies. Yeah, definitely. And he's also had some other TV shows that I vaguely remember watching, one of which was The Dead Zone. I think I've seen that. It's like a mini series of some sort. Yeah, I think so. It might have only been like 12 episodes or something like that. I definitely don't remember it being more than like a season of television. But I just remember that I believe Michael Anthony Hall was in it. And that's like all I remember about it or something like that. (laughs) And, you know, because he's had so much stuff come out, not just books, it's hard for me to like keep everything straight. I feel like I need to have like a Stephen King spreadsheet in my life and just mark off things as I watch them, read them, you know, whatever. And some of them are hard to find. Like uh, I just read Full Dark No Stars and one of those stories was like a a movie on Lifetime, um, that TV channel. It was like a Lifetime exclusive. So I've been trying to find it and have no idea how to even dig that one up. So some of his his movies that are kind of on the smaller scale or they're straight to some certain network or something are pretty hard to find. Um, Netflix used to have a handful of his like miniseries. I think The Longoliers and uh, a couple other ones were on Netflix for a little while. Um, the Bag of Bones miniseries, I think I want to say it was like ABC Family or something of that sort. It was like two episodes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to dig up some of the smaller scale ones. Yeah, definitely. And when you have stuff like TV movies that don't necessarily do as well because they're obviously not getting theatrical releases in this stuff which I can't recall if he has any TV movies in particular but I know some things will be released and I'm like when did that get released and then like on IMDB in parentheses it'll say TV movie and I'm like oh that's why I never heard about it (laughs) or like uh I think it's called a good marriage was one of those 
Full Darkness Stars stories, and I had seen it a few years ago, but I think it was a straight-to-DVD. I remember watching it, like, on iTunes or something. So, um, yeah, a handful of his smaller-scale ones are straight-to-DVD, but then he has, like, Hearts in Atlantis, which was a pretty big movie. Obviously, The Green Mile is considered, like, one of the best movies um, for film people, and it's a really good movie. Um, yeah, his, his spectrum of films and TV shows is super interesting. Yeah, definitely. And before we go here, I just want to sort of ask you this was horror one of your favorite genres to read or did Stephen King sort of make it one of your favorite genres to read? Because I know he's, you know, one of your favorite authors. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, he definitely kind of made it one of my favorite genres. Um, I wouldn't even consider myself like a really big horror fan. I just really love his storytelling. Um, I've gotten pretty into like mystery and thrillers lately. So I guess he kind of triggered that too. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I've never actually thought about that, but no, I haven't, even outside of him, like I haven't read a lot of horror books or anything like that. It's not like I wouldn't consider it one of my top genres or anything like that, even though I pretty much would consider him my favorite author. So that's a super interesting question. I just think he's a great storyteller. Um, and so that's kind of what gravitates me toward him. Yeah. And I think that's why at WonderCon at the panel I was in, they recommended his on writing book because they were like, he's just so good at writing stories. It doesn't even matter you know, what the story is. It's just the way he conceives the idea and brings it to life in his books. And I wouldn't say I'm a huge horror book person either. I think the closest thing that would come to that is probably stuff like Fight Club and all of... I I always butcher his last name. I say it as Chuck Palahniuk, but I'm oh, yeah, pretty I sure... Pol- yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. Palahniuk. That's how I would say it. <laughs> I say it how it looks, and then I think someone corrected me once, and I oh, don't remember how they corrected me. Yeah, so I just Chuck Polinick. Some people call it Polinick. I'm not sure what's right. Yeah, well, he has some stories that are pretty out there, especially with Haunted and Choke, and Fight yeah, Club a is a little more normal. <laughs> but that was—he's another author who can easily have his stuff adapted and. Obviously, Fight Club was a huge hit. So I would say him and Stephen King are probably the main two for me for that kind of storytelling. And then obviously, Mm -hmm. as Joe Hill writes some more books, I'll probably dig deeper into those. And I have no clue if Owen King has other books that are like I I was wondering that too. I don't think so. I was really surprised when I saw that he was writing with Stephen King because I was like, does he write? I need to look that up. I was like, does, um, who yeah, is he? Was Did he exist before today? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know there was another son other than Joe Hill. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a huge horror book when it comes or huge horror book fan when it comes to reading, but I love horror movies and I always have, um, especially like Halloween time. I just binge on horror movies for two months. So yeah. And I would say this is probably more along the Dark Tower lines and stuff with more of the fantasy, supernatural type stuff. But Neil Gaiman is another one who is having a lot of stuff adapted right now. I think American Gods is in the works or it's finally. Yeah, (laughs) it's another thing that was announced a long time ago. I read that book when I was in high school, right around uh, my Stephen King interest era. And it's one of my favorite fictional books um i highly recommend reading that one if you haven't but yeah it'll finally be out i think on hbo i want to say um but yeah that's another one that was announced years ago yeah it's hbo or showtime one of the two oh yeah it might be showtime but yeah it should be good too it looks really good yeah and that was the first book of his i read and all three of these authors that i've just mentioned here you know they've done books they've had stuff go to tv or film and they've all done 
comics now because Fight Club 2 was a graphic novel and it was really good if you enjoyed Fight Club in the slightest. I love Fight Club. I'll have to check that out. And yeah, I know um, all of uh, the Sandman novel um, or was comic books for Neil Gaiman. So yeah, they definitely have had some good success. Yeah. And Neil Gaiman has even done some Batman stuff. And I heard Stephen King has some Batman stuff in the works too. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I guess. Yeah. I should have put that in the notes, but I think I just found (laughs) out like yesterday or something because when I was at WonderCon all weekend, it was just like a big media blackout for me. I was just like, I had my phone (laughs) to text my friend and that was about it. (laughs) Or like to have one of my parents come pick me up from the convention center. So I didn't have to pay for parking. (laughs) That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, that's super exciting. There should be some good stuff this year. Yeah, and if he is doing something with Batman, I am really stoked about that because I think a Stephen King Batman might be something I need in my life. I know. That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. I'm sure I will have you back on either to talk specifically about certain Stephen King things or just other books music whatever in general i know you and i have a lot we could go down the rabbit hole with (laughs) definitely definitely well thanks a lot for having me yeah no problem and to our listeners if you could shoot a review over on itunes that would be great or hit the recommend button in your podcast app of choice if that's an option definitely do that and if that's not your thing that's totally fine thank you for listening anyway and as always we hope you enjoy your the rest of your day